When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Wolverine Confidential Podcast. I am Andrew Cohn. I'm Ryan Zook. And I'm Aaron McMahon. On this episode, we bring in a special guest to talk about Alabama, Michigan's opponent in its college football playoff semifinal at the Rose Bowl. What are the Crimson Tide's strengths and weaknesses, and how do they match up with Michigan? We discuss coming up on Wolverine Confidential. All right, guys, good to be with you here uh, Thursday morning, December 14th, and we've got a special guest on. It's Nick Alvarez of AL.com, uh, one of MLive.com's sister sites under the Advance local umbrella. Uh, Nick, thanks for coming on to talk about Alabama. Yeah, I'm pretty excited not just to talk with you guys today, but uh, yeah, to get ready toward this game in Pasadena. Absolutely. January 1st at the Rose Bowl. Number one seed Michigan versus number four seed Alabama for a spot in the college football national championship. Um, and Nick, let's just start with how Alabama kind of got here. Um, it it doesn't seem like it was the typical maybe Alabama season of recent years where they were just you know dominant throughout the season. They they fell out of the top ten of the AP poll for the first time in eight years. Uh, so I don't want to say it was, it was a grind necessarily to get to this game, but it, it sh- certainly didn't seem like it was necessarily expected, um, you know, maybe in, in, in late September, uh, I guess, can you kind of speak to that and, and, and how Alabama ended up in this game? For sure. I mean, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like there was panic down here after week three. So they lose week two at home against Texas. Jalen Milrow throws two interceptions in the second half. And then, the week after, he gets benched for Tyler Buckner, who's still with the team, but going to play lacrosse for Notre Dame next year and was leaving football. And Ty Simpson, who is a former five-star freshman, and they play in a downpour game that gets weather delayed for about an hour in Tampa against South Florida against the coordinator that dominated them a year prior in the Alabama-Tennessee game with Alex Golesh. And they looked ugly. Like, it didn't look great. Jalen Miller did not play at all. He wasn't necessarily benched, but that's kind of what it is in practice. And then he comes back and they handle themselves against Ole Miss pretty well. Then they kind of, you know, play some uneven ball. And then the second half in that Tennessee game, uh, they come out, score within three plays, cut the lead. And then within five minutes, they're dominating that game. And that really starts a trend going where in the second half of these SEC games, they just start dominating and really getting it locked in offense defensively. Offensively, Jalen Milrow has stopped turning the ball over and really embrace the offense with Tommy Reese. And then, you know, the last couple of weeks, ever since really they shut down LSU and Jaden Daniels, that became, you know, well, how really good is this team? Who have they played yet? And then they, you know, didn't make the mistake that Georgia did um, to win that SEC championship game. So it's definitely not the normal Alabama growth over the season in terms of where they started to where they are now. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's one of, if not the best defenses in the country compared to the ones that you guys have seen all year. And then offense that, you know, can get you in a couple of different ways. 
Now, before we get into Alabama, like deep dive, I want to know what's the perception of of maybe Michigan and, and the Big Ten down there? Because this is going to be the sixth all-time meeting between the two schools. They last played in the 2020 Citrus Bowl, but before then, these two schools hadn't played in almost a decade. So I, I'm just wondering what the Alabama, like the, the, the feeling is down there. What do they think about Michigan? What do they think about the Big Ten? I think what's interesting about the that part of it is when everyone's kind of having their bowl theories of who'd get left out and you know ended up being Florida State. There was never really a conversation of like the loser of the Michigan-Ohio State game getting in. And I think that's either like this something that can inherent as Big Ten SEC biases down here of thinking, well, like, oh, Georgia may have a shot, but turns out neither of them had the case. And I think it was, I think it's more of a general, like Alabama can't really put its chest out there after the year it had with losing a game and not being favored in a couple of their big matchups. But overall, like, I, I, I don't think Alabama fans are thinking about this as a four and one matchup. I think if anything, they probably think about it as four and one the other way. And they just would have preferred getting the local game in New Orleans compared to going out West. I, I don't think it's pure disrespect that maybe the ACC has gotten over the last couple of weeks, but I do think there's kind of all the historical elements that Greg Sankey will mention whenever he gets in front of a microphone of like, look at the SEC's track record in these, in the bowl games, in these playoff games. I think fans have only adopted that if it only helps their you know, water cooler arguments to get in, see who gets in the playoff. Going back to Alabama's season real quick, did you think, can you point to anything in particular that might have fueled their turnaround or uh, was there anything maybe Saban said to, to motivate this team and get them back on track? Or, I mean, it seems like quite the start turnaround from the Texas and, and South Florida game to, to where they are now. Uh, I would say defensively, there was a bit of a kind of uproar and, ultimately kind of a laughing point when Lane Kiffin uh, made the assumption that, in fact, it was uh, Alabama's defensive backs and associate head coach, Javaris Robinson, who was calling the plays and not returning defensive coordinator, Kevin Steele. And there was a bunch of you know, discourse about that, Steele being in the booth and Robinson actually signaling the plays in. And I think you can maybe point to some continuity there. But if you want to really point at it, I would think, the offensive line was at a historically bad pace in the beginning of the season. They were allowing three, four, five sacks a game to no matter who they played. USF in that week three game, they had uh, their program record, I think, with five sacks, which they had, hadn't set for like five, six years when they played UConn, which is one of those stats that Alabama shouldn't be in the same sentence with. Um, and then I think toward the back half of the season, Jaden Roberts at right guard, Settled in, Caden Proctor, a freshman who went through a bunch of growing pains earlier in the year, got a lot better. Um, and then really, ultimately, Jalen Melrose stopped turning the ball over. That was the big question coming into the season. And not only did he stop turning the ball over, you know, he made plays like 4th and 31 in the Iron Bowl. He made plays like the game, you know, ending, the little flip against Georgia that ran the clock down. So little things like that, in addition to, I think, Saban just being able to embrace the fact that he gets to watch a team grow and not, you know, have a team that's number one and going to try to, you know, keep that all year. Keeping this on the Jalen Milrow track, I mean, his numbers, when you look at him for the season, have been really good. I mean, he's, th- he's completed more than 65% of his passes. He's thrown for over 2,700 yards, 23 touchdowns. He's rushed for 468 and 12. Give Michigan fans kind of idea of maybe for those who haven't seen a ton of Jalen Milrow, what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are, and, and maybe what changed between that Texas game and, and the end of the season? From a from a stand from a fan viewpoint, I can I, I'd rip my hair out if I had to watch my team go up, go up against Jalen Milrow on a on a game day 
there are some plays where he's going to be running around the pocket and he's going to have nowhere to throw the ball and he won't throw it away. And then he'll go near the sideline and maybe he'll take a 12 yard sack or maybe he'll get hit trying to throw the ball away. And it's like, what are we doing here? And the next play he'll do the same thing, but then find, you know, Jermaine Burton 30 yards down the field for a big pickup on third and long. It's really interesting how he's able to kind of shake off play by play no matter what happens, he's going to try to execute. And almost to a fault sometimes, like he will keep with his one and two reads downfield and not check it down. And it doesn't help that he doesn't have the strongest arm when he's trying to throw it to the flats, short and outside. But he's also never seen a match of downfield he doesn't want. So from that standpoint, I think you just have, a lot of teams have been dropping eight in the coverage, seven in the coverage, making them play in front of him. Um, they've tried spying. It doesn't really work. So I think it's, Stopping Alabama's running backs, keeping him in third and long, third and you know short or third and medium, and trying to make sure that he just can't run the ball twice on third and fourth down and pick it up. Because when they get a chance on first and second down, they're going to throw a gadget play out there, whether it be with Kendrick Law or some of their running backs, or Jermaine Burton will be running down the field almost every other play just because he's their best deep ball threat. And if Jalen Milrow feels comfortable. It's going to be a long day, but also I don't think Alabama, not really since the LSU game has had the, you know, all and out offensive masterclass that would scare me too much. It's one of those things where you'd have to, you have to force him into making the mistake and then, you know, making sure you're not making it too easy for him. Uh, on a similar note, I mean, how much of a drop off do you think there has been at the offensive skill positions compared to maybe recent years? I mean, obviously, the NFL is loaded with elite former Bama receivers and running backs, and it seems like this year's group doesn't have the same big name recognition that that maybe some teams in the past have. Definitely. And uh, Ja'Cory Brooks, who uh, was more of a special teams play and reserve receiver, just transferred a couple weeks ago. And they were waiting on his you know, injury status to wonder if he'd get back, but he won't. And I think that just goes to show this, cl- this this wide receiver core is really being propped up by second and third year players, whether they're transfers or not. Uh, Kendrick Law, Isaiah Bond, Kobe Prentice, none of them are going to be really household names aside from Isaiah Bond will you know, be forever tied to the 431 Iron Bowl catch. Um, the rest of these guys, you know, they do an okay job of getting open in space. They're athletic and they're shifty. Um, the people and the pieces that really, I think, stand out and you don't want to circle if you're an opposing team, Kendrick Law, um, you know, he said it himself, that Debo Samuel type, they'll put him in the backfield, they'll put him in the slot, they'll try to give it to him on end of rounds. Um, they'll put him out there, take returns and kicks. He's pretty, pretty talented and finds a way to get the ball. Uh Oh, the tight end group, you know, they have Amari Kneeblack, uh, CJ Dupree. Some of these guys are serviceable and they've done some good things. Uh, but yeah, I think Alabama's strength this season offensively is not, ha- they haven't needed a guy. They haven't needed someone to step up. And that's a question we had last year and they didn't need him because of Bryce Young. And we had that question this year. And Jalen Miller's playmaking had, I think, relieved some of the need for, you know, third down, who are they going to go to? Well, I don't know if that's much of a question when you have Jalen Milrow dance in the pocket for 10, 15 seconds at a time and make someone get open or try to get it himself. I got one more question on the offense before we switch to defense. I'm lo- I was pulling through the stats earlier and I was amazed. Like they, Alabama's given up 43 sacks this year. It's eighth most in the country. You hinted at it earlier. How much of that is Jalen Milrow just holding on to the ball too long? How much of that is, is the offensive line? Yeah, I think the first 
five weeks of the season, they did not know what to do with the offensive line. Like in training camp, the off- or rather in fall camp, the offensive line was going to be some variation of Proctor. We'd see how it'd go at left guard. Uh, there'd be Seth McLaughlin, who's a longtime uh, starter at center. Tyler Booker, who is like a stud sophomore. And then J.C. Latham, who's projected to be a first-round NFL pick. They decided to flip it around because Caden Proctor was struggling so much on the left side. They tried to move Booker over to add some veteran stability. And that just created a hole at right guard. And that they spent a lot of time trying to figure that out. So when Jaden Roberts came in, I think around the time of that Texas A&M game, he got his first start by Tennessee. He had really locked himself in. They started to figure things, some, some things out. Um, I think the sack numbers now are a byproduct of Jalen hanging on the pocket a bunch. I think earlier in the season, they had no time. You, the offense wasn't really getting into any sort of rhythm or groove because Jalen was processing fast enough and the line was leaky. Now, you know, I think they've limited some of those mistakes, even though the numbers still, yeah, they're not great. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about that Alabama defense. I mean, you, you said early on here that you know, it's, it's, it's one of the best in the country. You know, when you look at the, the stats, as far as just Michigan's defense you know, compared to Alabama's defense, you know, Alabama lags a little bit, but I, I think our, our listeners probably know already, but if they don't, I'll remind them that, you know, the offenses that these teams have faced, of course, factor in there. I mean, Michigan got, you know, half of its games against Nebraska, Rutgers, Michigan state, uh, Iowa, Minnesota, East Carolina, though, you know, those are, those are all teams that are, that are near the bottom of the country, uh, you know, in offensive production. So, um, yeah, what, what has made this Alabama defense, uh, so good? What do they do well? Yeah. I mean, any Nick Saban team, I think will start with the secondary. Those guys have been joked about being, you know, his kids, his babies this year. And I don't, I don't think you can really argue that. Um, Caleb Downs as a freshman, like everyone has said, you know, wow, he doesn't look like a freshman. Wow, you want to build a DB, that's what you'll create, especially at a, at a safety. Um, and he's come in and earlier in the season, I think you saw some freshman mistakes where he'd get burned deep. He lets someone get behind him when he was playing like kind of that deep center field role. This year, that's not happening. Or towards the back half of the year, it's not happening. They put him on Brock Bowers in the SC Championship game. And Brock, I think, still had five catches, but and it wasn't completely healthy. But aside from that first drive, Brock Bowers didn't really make a huge impact in that game. Uh, Malachi Moore has done a little bit of everything. Veteran player, captain. Um, that's not even mentioning they have probably two top 10, top 15 cornerbacks in Terrian Arnold, Arnold and Kool-Aid McKinstry, who have just built up this reputation of like Terrian will be the one that gets picked on, which is weird because he led the SEC with five interceptions. And then Kool-Aid McKinstry, I think, only has like three or four interceptions for his entire career because just no one throws at him. So it, it's, it's really impressive in that side. And then the defensive line starts with, obviously, Dallas Turner, who had some of the national acclaim, and he was Alabama's first consensus All-American this season. Um, Chris Braswell, you know, he's risen at least a round or two in some NFL mock drafts because of his performance this year, seven and a half, eight sacks. Uh, the defensive line has depth at linebacker. They can pretty much get away with the three-man rotation with Deontay Lawson. Uh, Jihad Campbell, who will come off the bench, and then the Georgia transfer, Tresman Marshall. So they have experience. They have depth in places. Um, you know, they're, the offensive, or the, excuse me, the past defense breakdowns that they've had were confusing at times last year. They were downright scary a bit in the Texas game. The first drive of the Tennessee game didn't look great. But 
overall, they've just shown an ability to figure out what you're doing and stop it. I think if you go back, Georgia was the first team, I think in like two months to score more than 10 points in the second half against Alabama. And, you know, that was after Georgia also crushed them on that first drive. So it's been really impressive to see that defense come together. I'm I'm a little curious about a specific player. I mean, obviously, Damon Payne was a a five star recruit from Belleville, a very highly touted prospect in, in the state when when he was coming up. Uh, Michigan had some interest, but never seemed like they pushed really hard for him. I think he's a, a junior now. What what would you say his role has been with uh, with the team this season? I think for some for some guys who don't come in right away, I think there's a bit of a track where. You may get some snaps, some reps, and then you're going to be expected to be a veteran piece down the line, whether it be like a second teamer uh, when you're cons- potentially considering transferring or leaving. Uh, and then, you know, by your senior year, you're going to be expected to be a rotational piece at the minimum. And I think this year with the defensive line, they've taken kind of that. They've Jaheim Otis, Tim Smith, uh, Justin Boygby, they've all really bounced around and some cross trains and different techniques to get some playing time there. And that's led to guys like Damon Payne, like Jamarian Latham, who maybe you could see, hey, there's maybe a role for them this year, not really progressing as much as maybe earlier in the season. And that's because I just don't think they've needed him. Um, I think Damon Payne's a guy that would be expected to fill in because next year they'll be losing three, four, five defensive tackles, especially after two of their underclassmen have put themselves in the portal over the last week. Nick, I think when you look at the Alabama defense on paper, really good edge rushers, really good cornerbacks what would you say would be the key to i guess beating the defense is it is it simply getting rid of the ball quickly and and, and throwing over the middle of the field or how have teams been able to kind of uh you know be successful against this, this crimson tide defense you have to have a really good coordinator to figure out how to put alabama's linebackers on an island um and try to change up their secondary uh because malachi moore is really really aggressive toward the ball and he's been burned a couple times this year and just kind of some mismatching coverage of him trying to read something and then something behind him pops open for 25, 30 yards. Um, a couple of plays this year have ended up with, you know, Chris Braswell covering a running back in the slot. You know, that's just any team will take that matchup, no matter how good Chris Braswell's done this year. Um, I think if you can kind of take some of these mismatches and in addition to all the little stuff of getting the ball out quickly to avoid the third and longs, I think that'll go a long way. Um, I think the one thing you need to pr- make sure Alabama doesn't get away with, and that's their mistakes, uh, because this is an issue for Nick Saban team last year. It's been controlled to some extent this year, but still pops up every once in a while. So Alabama will commit some penalties. They will make some. They will make some mistakes, um, and you have to keep them pressured on. That. You have to make sure that if they give you a first down, that drive ends in points. Uh, that's what Georgia did. Hell, that's what USF did uh, in week three to get on the board. And I think that's the key. And, you know, we didn't talk about this offensively, but I think Alabama, off the top of my head, there's been at least six touchdowns taken off the board this year due to a penalty or a legal shift or holding or something coming back. And those are mistakes that I think cost them against Texas. People thought it cost them against Georgia. And if you want to, you know, start splitting hairs and see where the advantages would be in this Michigan game, I think that's it. Like which team, this is, you know, as, maybe as vanilla as it sounds, who will be the best coach and make the other team, you know, show their limitations more. Well, Michigan is the least penalized team in the in the country uh, so far this season. Um, yeah, I, I you know I know we're still a few weeks away from the game, uh, but you know we've already been talking about maybe how it might play out a little bit, and I, the thought 
at least for me, is that it, it could be it could be low scoring. I mean, two really good defenses, and um, you know, Michigan is shown a almost uh, a stubbornness as far as running the football. Like they're they're going to they're going to do it. They're going to do it early. They're going to do it often. They're going to stick with it, and and it's it's worked for them. They've eventually uh, you know gotten enough to in, in that part of the game to to win. They've you know gotten a few to pop late. Um, it's helped with ball control and time of possession and things like that. Uh, I guess, do you, are, are you envisioning something similar here? A game maybe in the, in the low to mid twenties or, or yeah, maybe can, can the offenses, you know, break through somehow in this game? Part of me thinks that just because it was a big game and this will be on the stage of Pasadena, I feel like that game just doesn't end 12 to nine, even though like if you, like in my head, that feels like a game that will come down to, to kicks uh, and, and some field goals. But I think, Alabama, I, I think both offenses will get big plays. I think Blake Horn will pop off a big run. I think Jermaine Burton will make a big catch, which he's done against Michigan in a playoff game uh, a couple of years ago. But I like I, I think that the offense, the offenses have enough talent. These coaching staffs are well enough. They'll have enough time to prepare that they'll find something to kind of get the offenses moving a little bit. Um, but I think at the I, I'll come back to this at the end of the day. I think the defenses will the, the defenses will impose their will. I think the defenses will be able to keep the game close no matter what. I think the biggest piece is, you know, who will make that turnover late and will they be able to capitalize on it? Um, I think this might be a game where not whoever holds the ball last, but that team who gave away three point who, who gave away three points in the second half or before halftime, that I maybe mean, one of those games where we're coming back to and thinking like, oh, that early moment really cost them. Um, because maybe you guys would be able to answer this better, but like from an Alabama fan standpoint, I, I, I think the way they performed in that SEC championship game alleviated a lot of concerns of like, will they step up on a big stage? And I think to earlier, earlier conversation about like the big 10 SEC, I think like Michigan fans, you want, I think that's a bit of a question. Like they've looked great this year. Will the light, when the light's shining, you know, playing against a team like Alabama, seeing that Jersey and logo on the sideline, how will it shape up? I think that'd be interesting to see. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I mean, Michigan, besides Ohio State, Penn State, uh, hasn't really faced much of a, a difficult schedule. And obviously, we know how they've performed the last two years in the college football playoff game, blasted by Georgia and then losing to a, a TCU team last year that many believe they, they should have beaten. We saw what Georgia did to them in, in the national championship. So I think it's a, a fascinating matchup. And and I mean, even with the, the hardball and, and Saban dynamic, too, it should be interesting. But I, I know it's a few weeks out, but is there... And it's only a, a one and a half point spread right now. Are you are you leaning a certain way with the prediction, or still undecided? So I uh, when I this is my first full year on the beat, and I told myself get I wanted the team to get me to an SEC championship, and I wouldn't complain. I thought the bowl game would be fun. The Rose Bowl is my personal favorite college football game ever. I'm already uh, can't wait for that half that third quarter sunset shot. Um, but all that considering, for the game itself. It's hard to pick against Alabama or the way they play the last couple of weeks. Um, the version of Jalen Milrow that shows up that day, if he's a little too crazy and loose with the ball, compared to if he's if he's you know played the way he has over the last month, I think might be the biggest determining factor. Yeah, I, I think I'll keep it this way. It's, and I, I think Michigan's a really good team. Uh, obviously, I think they're deserving of being in the playoff. But this Alabama team all year has run into itself. And like that's been the thing they've had to get over is a stopping their own miscues, um, making sure that they're keeping themselves on track. And if that's the if that's the test for a Nick Saban team that has a month to prepare, I just I kind of have to put my money on them. 
Yeah, it's it's hard to bet against Alabama, but it's it's you know you can say the same thing about this this Michigan team that is obviously undefeated and just you know answered the bell week after week, um, you know, including late in the season with with their with their toughest games. So, uh, yeah, this is listen. We talked about our right after the matchups were announced. You know, we had our little debate over whether. It should have been Alabama. It should have been Florida State. But I think you know, there's no doubt that with this matchup we, we've got, um, it's it's the reason we're we're so excited about it. It should be very very competitive. Yeah, I don't. We're not having this conversation if it's Florida State. Well, when we, we like you guys are, you guys are talking to a Florida State writer, but I don't think we're talking about like more, like we're not talking about a one point spread. And I think that that's makes this game so fun. Is that you know I talked mentioned about it with the SEC fan base, but I there's no favorite in this game. Like, I don't think either way, no matter what argument you make, I, this, this game is going to, it's going to be fun. I think it's going to come down to some exciting play. And I, you know, who knows? It could be one that we, we don't even know the start of the game yet. It could be a, uh, you know, Jam Miller has been getting uh, carries for Alabama with Jace McClellan hurt their lead running back. You know, Jam Miller, this Jam Miller can go off with three touchdowns. Wouldn't be surprised. You know, it, it's one of the, it's, 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 Alabama may not be able to stop Michigan's ground game. And I'd be a little surprised, but I wouldn't be shocked. Like it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun one with the way these matchups work out. Um, I ask you guys, what do you what do you think? It's one point Michigan, what one point favorites right now? You think that's uh, about where it should be going in? I do, yeah. Uh, and I lean Alabama, and I've said I told these guys, and I've told other folks before. I mean, I, I just I, I question whether Michigan can do it on the big stage. I know Michigan fans don't want to hear that, but like Ryan mentioned earlier, like they lost the last two years in the semifinal. They're one in six in bowl games under Jim Harbaugh. They just can't seem to win against like a like a, a top tier opponent. So we'll we'll see how they fare. I'm really curious to see how they handle everything. Um, you know, the players have have talked about it the last couple of weeks of like they've been here, they've been in the playoff. They were there two years ago, and they kind of, at that point they treated it as like a vacation. Like they'd won the first Big Ten championship in a long time. They've gotten the playoff. It was all great. Last year, I think they maybe went into the semifinal game against TCU with maybe a little bit more confidence and and maybe they should have, or maybe a little um, and this year, it's I think it's like it's a reality check. A lot of these guys came back specifically to play in this game and get and win a national championship. So I, I think there's a lot of motivation on Michigan side. I think they're going to come ready to play, but at the end of the day, do they have enough? And that's what I'm I'm curious to see. I'm ready for it. I think it's going to be a good game. It's, it's two blue blood college football programs uh, in one of the biggest bowl you know bowl games uh, on the slate. So I'm I'm really excited for it. Yeah, I mean, like you said too, it's it's hard to bet against Alabama with 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 saving getting a month to prepare and that's there's a reason why they've been so successful in these national semifinal games it's because I think they're they're able to, to perform on the big stage and and yeah last year I, mean, I thought it was guaranteed like Michigan would be able to beat a TCU team that yeah they had a, a great quarterback a couple of really dynamic offensive weapons but a very porous defense and I mean yeah Michigan scores some points and moves the ball but also made a lot of uncharacteristic mistakes and yes every team is different this there's a lot of guys back from last year's team. They could say they're all motivated and business like, but this is I mean this is this is the Rose Bowl. It's one they're the number one team in the country. They've yeah they've had the sign stealing scandal going on all year. It's it's a lot of outside noise and and um, maybe they play a little tense knowing that if they lose it will be a, another disappointment. Um, whereas I feel like this Alabama team might be like hey we lost in in week two everyone counted us out and like whatever let's just keep this train rolling so i'm probably leaning alabama too but 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 not by much i wouldn't be surprised if if either team wins well we'll have uh 
continued coverage leading up to the game on mlive.com slash Wolverines. And you can read Nick Alvarez's work at al.com as we prepare for the January 1 semifinal matchup at the Rose Bowl. Nick, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no, of course. And I look forward to seeing you guys out there.